This podcast is dedicated to the proposition that every Christian should be a constant and devoted reader of the Bible, and that the primary business of the church and its ministry is to lead, foster, and encourage people in this life-changing habit. So here we are, Thriving in the Word. Uh, I don't know, we're probably episode, I'm going to guess, 124 right now. Um, So uh, somewhere in that vicinity. I'm just going to say random numbers each week from now on. Uh, Probably somewhere in that vicinity. And uh, we have Ben with us, Mike, Johnny, Lenny, myself, and uh, Dave is not with us today. But we are going to jump into the book of Acts. So let's just open it up, guys. Uh, this is episode 1005. 1005. Wow. Can I have 1006? Wow. Anyone in 1006? <laughs> yeah, 1007. Okay. Going, going, gone. Uh, that being said, Acts 8 through 14. So anything stayed out to you guys? Acts 9, I have it highlighted. Um, Acts chapter 9, um, verse 7. The context here is Paul, um, formerly Saul of Tarsus, there at the stoning of Stephen, uh, agreeing with his murder and basically kicking indoors to arrest, you know, men, women, and children who were followers of the Messiah or the way. All right. Uh, I'll start in verse three. Now he, as he proceeded, it happened that when he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter into the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. Now, this is the part that I have highlighted. Now, the men who were traveling together with him stood speechless because they heard the voice, but they saw no one. And I think this is significant. And the reason why I think this is significant is um, maybe like a month or two ago, I was, and I'm always in the word, right, these days, and... I've been saying this a lot and praying this a lot for people. Lord, give them ears to hear and eyes to see. If you remember when we were in the gospel according to Luke, he gives the parable of the sower, right? And they're confused afterwards. They're like, Lord, Jesus, what does this mean? And he says, you know, it's for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. But to put it plainly, like he's like, the seed is the word of God. The soil is the different types of people's hearts, et cetera, right? Um, And it raised this question. I began to do a deep dive into what it, any verse that says ears to hear, eyes to see, all, all kinds of passages like that, and I reference them now. So Saul will eventually get into, in the book of Acts, where he arrives in Damascus, he meets with Ananias, who lays hands on him and prays for him to receive the Holy Spirit, and something like scales falls off of his eyes. Mm-hmm. And I've mentioned this before, but I think it's very profound to mention. The men who were with him could hear, but they couldn't see. Mm. In perspective, right? This is Ephesians 2.8. Right? And this has to do with faith, so I'm going to connect all this in a second. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, but the gift of God. So how does faith have to do with this? Right? Here's Romans 10:17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So we know faith is given from the Father to people in a certain measure, but we also know it comes from people sharing the word. The actual scriptures, not their interpretation of the scriptures, right? Okay. Galatians 3:11. right? Now, it is um, evident that no one is justified before uh, God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith, right? There's faith again. Also, in the scriptures, it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So faith is is so foundational, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. So there's this really um, key component here, Acts 9, 17 through 19. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. So in the context of this, right, this is Romans 11, 8. 
just as it is written. So this is a quote from the Old Testament, right? God has given them, given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. Matthew 13, 15. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. So there's all these passages, right? I mean, Acts 28, 27. It's, it's, it's actually that same exact quote, just in another part of the Bible. There's a, there's a component to following Jesus where he's not asking you to look with your eyes anymore. He's asking you to look with your heart. He's asking you to trust in him. And when you have that kind of faith, like the saving faith from you know, um, faith comes from hearing the word or that other passage in Romans where it says that we're saved by God's grace through our faith. Not only does it have to do with your salvation, it has to do with the ability to see things in the supernatural world. Like anyone who has faith has the potential to see with their heart what God is doing. And when we talk to people who aren't believers and we try to share things with them apart from the word, how can they see if they're blind? Mm. They can't. They can't. So for us to expect people to believe in God that we talk to or the, to that walk into the doors of the church, right? Apart from them hearing the word, they have no chance unless God blesses them in some kind of a, a way. Mm-hmm. So that's what stood out to me in, um, in the beginning of Acts was these men were there. And this, for whatever reason, this is just what in the study, specifically this morning that jumped out at me was mm-hmm. we have to have patience with people because they may not have the heart to see God moving. Their faith might not be there yet. And so we need to, like, um, fan their ember that they have, that, that they're curious about God or that they're seeking the truth. We need to fan that into flame by sharing the word mm-hmm. rather than, you know, clever arguments or scientific explanations or even apologetics, which is all that stuff is great resources. But right. it's no substitution for the actual word being delivered into the ears of a person who's either a non-believer or questioning. Yeah. Well, like you said, we, we walk by faith, right, and not by sight. And that's that's one thing that... You know, when it comes to explaining your faith, it's great. We want to be able to, we don't want to be um, ignorant, right? But there also has to be the faith element. You know, Helen Keller, who is a, you know infamous uh, blind person, um, she said, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but having no vision. You know, and it's like the the ability to see but you have no vision or, you know, or you have no, you have no faith. And I think it could be said here. It's like, yeah, you could see perfectly well, but you're just missing everything that's going on, you know? And, uh, and it's, it's, it's so easy for us to just get caught up in these things or just get caught up in only that one sense. It's like, if I can't see it, I don't believe it. And, and we tend to put so much, uh, stock on our vision, right? The, the ability to see something, um, more so than probably anything else. Like you can hear something and you second guess that you feel something. Maybe you second guess that I'll believe it when I see it as a famous saying, right? Yeah. Which, which I mean, essentially, you know, we talked about Thomas recently and that was one of his things. Like I have to see this, I have to, um, be able to experience it. But the reality of it is, is not everything in life we can see. We're not going to see God, not in the literal sense of seeing him as a being. We'll see his actions will experience things, but there has to be the step of faith, you know. And and um and one of one of my favorite scenes from a movie was uh you know Indiana Jones and Last Crusade when he's in the final stages of finding the Holy Grail, 
and uh, and there's the chasm, and it says something like, you know, the, the just will walk by faith or something like that, or, or taking a leap, leap of faith, something like that. And he has to take a step, and then when he takes a step, he realizes that there is something there that can hold his weight. And um, and I think in our own lives, you know, that's the thing. We, what we want to do is we want to see the path, and then we'll go. And God is saying, take the step, you know. And, and Paul, I mean, what a, what a radical transformation he was on. I mean, he just... He took the step. He jumped off. He didn't have, you know, I, I think he didn't have sight, but he, he could see, you know, even with the scales kind of a thing. Yeah, it was great that he was healed physically. But I think if you if you could have asked him, said, well, you know what, if your eyes didn't get fixed, like, what, how do you feel about that? He would have probably been like, well, it's okay because I could see better than I ever could before, you know, because he could see spiritually now. Now he could see the fact that, you know, Jesus was real and that he had been going down this this path that was that was, you know, wrong and I think symbolically the scales came off and that's a that's a symbol that we often like to look at say hey you know when we come to faith in Christ it's like the scales come off of our life come off of our eyes and now we see things that we didn't see previously but but that's the thing again it's like we you know that walking by faith it's like do we walk by faith or it's, must quintess, it's quintessential to following Jesus absolutely and just to reiterate the point you're blessed with a superpower when you finally let go of the need to see with your actual physical eyes. Right. And when you begin to just say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to let go of that, and I'm just going to have faith and trust in you. When you have that faith and trust, that's, in my own walk, that's where I've seen the most miracles, is when I was finally willing to be like, okay, Lord, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. So we got to remove the log out of our eye in order to remove the speck out of a brother's eye well too. that's i think that's talking directly about sin and we could all use a little less sin in our lives that's for sure <laughs> and a little bit more jesus right so well i say that because i mean ananias i mean so you have one side of you're saying like we got to be more patient with uh people's walk with christ but then ananias baptizes saul holy cow like it's incredible how like god spoke to him and was like hey i want you to go to saul and i want you to uh help him see again and then when Ananias sees him in uh, chapter 9, verse 17, it's, he, say, he doesn't say Saul. He says, brother Saul, right? The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as, as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Im immediately there fell from his eyes, uh, something like, like you said. Uh, so when he received food, he was strengthened. And, and then Saul spent some days with the disciples in Damascus. So I kind of like... I'm putting together that, like, I'm not, that's not literally, it felt like he went, like, into, like, isolation for, like, a week because he couldn't see, but he was, like, something, he was just, like, awestruck, and having the journeyman there to witness everything was also a miracle in itself because it's Saul. This guy persecuted everybody. And he was on his way to go persecute with people. Backup, though, right. that, that with the, the muscle, backup. Yeah, with the muscle, backup. Right. So, so think about all these angles, right? With the backup. They must have been like, now what? Yeah. Now <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah they're yeah. like, oh, we got sent here to do this job. And right. now God just showed. To you go know, and preach the gospel where he was going to go persecute those that were trying to follow the gospel. Also, like, like the, the, the level oh, of, I'm goodness. just thinking right now about the level of faith that Paul has where you just became blinded. And now you're going, and now you're being told, okay, you're blind. You have to trust somebody because you can't see what's around you. Go trust this guy you've never met before. Go find him and trust him. Yeah. Paul had all the puzzle pieces, though, because oh, yeah. Paul, yeah. Saul of Tarsus had faith already. Yeah. He just had faith that it was misplaced faith. He had faith in yeah. the law, the Mosaic law, and, that, and he was acting on that. So he, he was living 
by um, for all intents and purposes, he was living a good biblical Old Testament Tanakh Hebrew life. And he thought what he was doing was just, mm -hmm. that he had the authority from God to do that. And of course, God just, boom, changed, he flipped the script on him. But it's crazy because once he had all those puzzle pieces from that encounter, he was like, wait a minute. And he starts connecting these verses from the Old Testament, which you will see later on in the epistles, yeah. how often Paul references the, the Hebrew Bible to make his point, in yeah. particular to these places where there's the Greek-speaking Jews and yeah. so on and so forth. So he, he was brilliant. You know, the, the other thing that I've kind of wondered within this story, well, number one, who is Judas, right? Because that's where Paul goes and he's staying, says in verse 11, when he's talking to Ananias, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas, when you get there, ask for this man. So it's like some. Is it, is it Judas Iscariot? Well, it can't be. Yeah, because right? he already killed him. Some. But, could it, could but, it be Jude, as in Jesus's re yeah. relational? I, you know? I don't know. Or maybe it's just some random dude. But he's just mentioned there as, as he's housing Saul. But here's the thing: I wonder about Ananias, and maybe maybe not. But I've seen this happen before, and it just kind of makes me wonder: Was Ananias the first guy that God asked to go do this? You know, or or did God go to somebody else and speak to somebody else and do this? And and they flat out denied him. And because I mean, even in Ananias, you see the the hesitation. Right. He's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. And, and then he ended up doing it, and he gets a, a minor role in this story. But yet, it's minor, but it's major in the sense that we're still talking about it thousands of years later. So in that moment, he could have said yes, or he could have said no. And he and in saying yes, he goes down in history. And in saying no, he just disappears into obscurity. I wonder if if that's ever happened um, in other situations, and, and it's fact it's funny because I've seen this firsthand, where um, I was at a, a youth convention thing many many years ago, and there was somebody in front of me, uh, maybe two rows in front of me, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, you know, you need to go over there and pray for that person, and I was just nervous too for whatever reason, and I'm just like, and I'm, we're singing or whatever, and felt like He said, you need to go over there and pray for that person. And, uh, and I'm just watching the situation. I'm just like, I don't know, maybe it's weird, maybe it's whatever. And then it was like in a moment I heard God say, if you're not going to do it, somebody else is going to do it. And in that moment, somebody else stepped over there wow. and started praying for them. Yeah. And I was like, ah. Yeah, I heard the voice of God, but I didn't ask. And I missed it. Yeah. And so, so it just makes me wonder the story with Ananias. Had there been other people who God said, hey. Hey, go do this. Go do this. And they're like, you know what? I don't know. That's all. God, I, I think you missed the boat here. And, uh, and then now Ananias gets that little little footnote in history because of what he did. Yeah, and I mean, talk about a miracle. Yeah. Something like scales fell from his eyes. Mm, right. And he regained his it sight. It gives me goosebumps. Yeah. It's the first cataract surgery yeah. right there. Yeah, right. <laughs> this story is so moving to me because the amount of courage that it took for Ananias to trust the Lord with someone that was killing Christians. Just, well, just imagine if a sheriff is going around kicking in doors, right? For whatever reason, they outlaw Christianity in America, <clears throat> and they start kicking indoors, and then you hear Judah's been arrested in his family. They're imprisoned, right? They're on death row. They just killed Dave for, you know, preaching the word and being so, you know, uh, outspoken about it. And all of a sudden, this is what happens. You know that this one sheriff, he's on the TV. He's like, you know, if you're doing this, just turn yourself in. It's going to go a lot easier for you, right? So everybody knows who this guy is. And then he shows up to your house, but he can't see. He's with a couple of other uh, law enforcement officers, right? right. And, and, and they know who he is. And, God, and God's like, what I want you to do is help this man. Right. And you're like, yeah. Lord, 
I do trust you, <laughs> but but this is the guy that just you know put to death yeah. you know. You this might pastor. not know this. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> but like, he's your enemy. <laughs> yes. Yes. This guy is not a fan. Yeah. yeah. So and then God's like, no, put your hands on him and heal him. And, yeah. and then you're like, okay, Lord, I don't know what. And every fiber of your being is saying, don't do this. But your spirit is saying, I'm gonna mm. shema. I'm right. gonna hear and obey the. And then boom. And that was some bold faith, dude. Ananias gets to watch what Paul did yeah. in the upcoming yeah. uh, decades, right? right? Until eventually. Right. You know what I mean? Well, there was a there was a little pushback in, in verse thirteen. Then Ananias then Ananias answered, "There I have Lord. Have you heard from many about this this man? How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem?" What I love in verse fifteen is is like it helped shift his his focus. He didn't like downcast Ananias. He just said, "But the Lord said to him, Go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer." For my name's sake. Ananias was like, all right, I don't want to do this. But then all he was just kind of like, it was like a, a hoorah kind of moment. Like it was like an encouragement. Like this is this so much bigger than 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 him, even than the people he's persecuted. Like, I'm gonna use this person who everybody's afraid of and show that like there's more to fear than this man who's killing these 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 Christians. Because if if if, if God, the Lord Himself, can transform a man like this. In his heart, and in, if Saul was by himself, would anybody believe him? Probably not. So that's why these soldiers had to be there to witness this. A event. matter. The the Bible says a matter will be established by the mouth of two to three witnesses. And countless times in Scripture, you see it by multiple Bible verses driving home a point of let's say like doctrine right. or actual physical people that are there to testify. You know what I mean? It's and and, and, and what did the soldiers? Uh, here and, and seven and the men journeyed with uh, stood speechless hearing a voice but seeing no one right so like that's insane but he did but Saul did right so like it was just it just yeah. God the Lord was moving in, in, in a way that like only he can Lord I've heard from many <laughs> many people about this man how much he how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem and he has the authority from the tree like like he's just like like Lord he's like he's reasoning with God he's like Lord I've heard terrible things about this guy right. <laughs> you know what I mean and now and now they want to persecute him yeah and now they're like holy cow how do we plot this guy because clearly he's different clearly something changed and whatever it is we want nothing of it at some point Ananias must have been like you know I mean I, I said the quote from Thomas um, the, one of the first things we see Thomas say was, okay, let's go and die for, with Jesus. And that must right. have been Ananias. He's just like, okay, you know what? Yeah. Let's just do this. Like, whatever. And, you know, kisses his wife. He's like, you know what? Why don't you guys go somewhere else? You know, go over right. the in-laws. Yeah. You know, go to your parents' house Tell for the, the weekend. Yeah, Tell yeah, the kids yeah. I love them. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I have to obey God in this situation. And I'm trusting that, that he's going to lead me the right way. But you know what? All for his glory, and and I may not make it out of this. And I mean, because you got it, you got to think that must have been going through his mind, even though he trusts God. Like you said, I mean, that was a good analogy about the the sheriff coming in, you know. And it's like, it's like, okay, well, you know what? I mean, yeah, it's like, because I see people who come to faith in Christ all the time, and and sometimes it's short lived, and so you you're just like, okay, this is the dude. Like we're doing this now. It's like I'm vulnerable at this point. Like, I'm going over his house. I'm going there. I don't know who this Judas is, perhaps. He's got potentially soldiers with him. Is this a trap? I don't know. Yeah, it, yeah. It, was this really God? I mean, how sure do you have to be about the voice of God, too? Because it's like, like, like well, what if I miss God? What if that was just like, 
Well, if that was just thought. my... What if that was just a thought? Right. You have to learn to listen to God. And being in the Word is how you hear right. His voice better. Exactly. Exactly, Michael. That's brilliant what you just said. The way I learned to recognize the voice of God is sometimes He would speak to me, and He would be calling me to take a step of faith. He'd be like, you know, get out of the boat, walk on the water. And I use that as an analogy because he didn't ask, actually ask me to walk on water. But like over COVID, I shared this testimony before. I just kept feeling him and it was unrelenting, tugging on my heart, press into me, press into me. And I, I had to tell my wife, I had to go against every fiber of my being in this one situation. And I was like, I need to do this now. Like there's there's nothing that was going to change my mind about doing this. And yeah. and it, I had to tell my wife, like, listen, let the chips fall where they may. Like, you know, if it's going to get me in trouble with you, I, I don't, I, tr I trust God. So yeah. now reading the word has transformed my relationship with God, not just because I have a better understanding of who he is and who I am and who I am in him, right? But all of a sudden he talks to me now through the scriptures right. because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what he has said to his saints, he will continue to say to his saints, have faith, persevere, finish the race, right. abide in me, right? Trust in me, like do good works according to the to the Holy Spirit and so on and so forth. There's so many beautiful things. So that's that's really, really good. I do want to um, hang on to this passage for one more second because Pastor Lenny here, he brought it up. All right. But the Lord said to him, this is Ananias now, go because this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles and kings, right? Kings who traditionally persecuted Israel, right? And or were corrupted and led to idolatry in the past of very few good kings in Israel's past, right? But the Lord said to him, go, and because of this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles, the heathen, the pagan, the people that were unclean, that Jews wouldn't even walk into their house or really conduct business with them unless they absolutely had to. And then they would try to become ritualistic, ritualistically clean again through the law. I mean, this is so profound, right? And the sons of Israel. So he's like, he's putting them all in the same category, bad kings or even good kings pagan, heathen, Gentiles, the non-Jew, the unclean people, and Israel, those who don't know that, that this is the, the Messiah. Now, this is where it gets crazy. For I will show him, meaning Paul, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So picture, not only does Paul get knocked down from the light all around him and the voice from heaven and having an encounter with Jesus, then he's got to go humble himself and go to the people he went to go arrest, get the scales removed from his eyes. He eats a meal. He gets back after, what is it, three days, I think it was, which I think is significant. But picture in that time, he has to he has to digest what the Lord just showed him. Yeah. <laughs> how potentially how he's gonna lose his life to the Romans by beheading, or potentially how you're gonna get beat up, shipwrecked, you're gonna suffer, but it's for me. And in Saul or Paul, he knew exactly that this is God showing him this. Because when you have encounters with God like that, there's nothing else like it. You just know that this is what God has planned for your life and you just have to go with it. And that it's all gonna work out in the end. So, I mean, Paul, what a guy. Yeah. What a guy for the Lord. Well, I, you know, I, I want to change gears a little bit because we're getting ready to introduce my probably my favorite character in all of the New Testament. and um, Jesus? No, well, he's definitely the favorite character. <laughs> I was going to say beside Jesus. You know, obviously, he's preaching, right? And the Jews plot to kill him, and so they help him escape out of basket, right? So this is um, first, uh, say... 20, well, 22. Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted to kill him, and they were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. 
but Saul was told about their plot. So like already, like in a couple of days, like Saul has like flipped, you know, and I mean, he's now the went from the aggressor to the preacher, you know. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through the opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. And again, so we see the same situation that, uh, that Ananias faced. His reputation was that big. Right. Now, now, the interesting distinction here is we don't hear another voice from God, right? Like Ananias had God speak to him. Directly. Directly and say, go to this person and pray. We don't see that happen again, right? But what we do see is this, verse 27, then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So then he stays there and he begins preaching. Now, I mean, to me, Barnabas is probably one of the main characters in the New Testament. He's unsung in many ways. But as we read through Acts, like you'll see him. His faith right here, we were talking about faith. Right. Barnabas had faith based, based upon what Saul was preaching, which was right. the word right. to the Gentiles and, and the Jews. And, I mean, what, what, what my guess is, again, we're going to read between the lines here. I'm going to read between the lines just a little bit here. Because um, we don't see a voice from God again. So what I'm thinking happened is they come, he's like, he said, oh, I'm, I'm changed, I'm different. Everybody's like, we don't believe this is actually true. We think this is a trap. And Barnabas is like, I'm going to go find out. And he goes, again, putting himself potentially at risk, and goes and meets Paul, meets Saul, and, and has conversations with him, vets him out, and then now becomes an intermediary between him and the entire church in Jerusalem. He had discernment. He had discernment, and he was an equipper. And you see this all throughout Acts that the missionary trips that, that are going on, the churches that are established, I mean, Barnabas is in the thick of it. We don't see or hear of Barnabas until this point right here. This is the first time he pops up. He pops up right here, and he pops up as this liaison vouching for Saul. And we also see later on how he's, although he could kind of take some credit for Saul's uh, accomplishments, he also has the balls to call out saw when he needs to call him out too and you'll see that later on as well which i love like barnabas was just like he was like you know saul's going off on some tangent barnabas is like no dude you're wrong and they and they split ways for a period of time and whatever else but i mean barnabas was an equipper he saw potential in the most unlikely people and he helped them to realize their spiritual gifts and their calling on their life and man what a great honor that is you know yeah he he didn't write any books that we know of but if it wasn't for barnabas he might have even been literate yeah who knows yeah who knows in that context we don't know but we do know and, and you'll and again i don't want to i don't want to uh show too many cards just yet because we're going to get more and more into it but it's like man that was faith right there he didn't have a specific word from god that we know of he just did it on his own he's like i'm going to go investigate this and all everybody else is terrified He's like, no, I'm, I'm going to investigate the reports. I'm going to see if this is real and legit. And, hey, he could have walked right into a trap, or he didn't, you know, but he could have in his mind again. He's just going out there all for the kingdom. You know, we don't know. We don't know who he was. Maybe he was a leper that Jesus healed. We don't know. We don't have no clue what he was, you know. Yeah, and, and what's so profound about all of this stuff is as we were going through the gospel according to Luke leading into Acts, <clears throat> it's like you see the crucifixion of Jesus, right? You see Judas with the betrayal. You see them horribly treating Jesus. And he's getting bounced around between, you know, kangaroo courts, ultimately to be tortured to death on the cross 
for the sin of the saints, right? And <clears throat> so here you are watching your Peter, you're walking on water, you're watching the feeding of the 5,000, the, the net gets thrown over the ship and all the fish come. I mean, the, the wine at the, um, the wedding in, what is it, uh, Cana or whatever, all these miracles. You're seeing kids getting resurrected, right? Like, uh, what's his name's daughter? You see um, the guy who's in the coffin, the, the widow's son, who also is resurrected. Right. I mean, what was it, 10 lepers? There's so, the, the demoniac, you saw all this stuff and then you're watching the Messiah get killed? Remember, this is the context that we're leaving coming out of Luke. Yeah. Then Jesus comes back. You talked about uh, the doubting Thomas and so on. And then he ascends on the cloud. And then they wait for 10 days. They get the Holy Spirit. Right. And then everything is happening awesome. You're like, this is it. This is the kingdom come. And then, dun, dun, dun. What do you see happen? Stephen gets killed and a great right. persecution breaks out. So now everyone's like, we're in a war. Right. There's no peace here. Now, if you get into Acts chapter 9, verse 31... This is after Saul's conversion by the Lord Jesus and Barnabas helping him, right? <clears throat> then the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace, being strengthened and living in the fear of the Lord in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. It was increasing in number. So now the church who's already springing up because of the work that was happening in the first seven chapters of Acts, right? Where they're out there preaching on Pentecost and the word is traveling. Then the great persecution takes place because after Stephen, Saul has the flip here. The minute that God um, injects himself into the situation, what, what do they have that surpasses all understanding? Peace. Mm -hmm. And then the church started to grow again. It doesn't matter how hard you fight against God, you're not going to win. Well, look what was restored in, in verse 31. Then the church, then the churches throughout all of Judea, Galilee, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. You know, Judah just preached this past weekend about like, you know, like genuine fear of the Lord. And I was thinking about my daughter, you know, I would want her to know that like out of fear, like I would protect her. You know, when I started to think about her fearing me just walking on eggshells around me and she's learning how to walk, I immediately like was hurt by that. I was like heartbroken, like, no, like, of course not. Like, I wanna take care of you, I love you. I want, I just want what's best for you. And, and it was interesting that like, I just had like that light bulb moment, like that's how Jesus wants to love us as well. It's not like a fear of like, you know, you should be scared of me, uh, hell and brimstone. It's no, it's, it's, he's going to protect you. Uh, he's going to, he's going to guide you. He's going to shepherd you. And, and, and the church was scared of, of Saul. Like Saul was like pretty much playing the devil's card. He was being used by the devil to, to kill and destroy. You know, that's what the enemy does, right? To seek and destroy everything in his path. And that's what he was doing. So the church was like losing there. They felt like they weren't prospering and all because what was restored was the fear of the Lord again and walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, right? Exactly. So it's pretty, pretty it's, like, it's like Saul had misplaced faith right. in the law, the Mosaic law, and God corrected that to faith in God. Now, here's the thing. The church had misplaced fear right. in, in the persecutors of the there church, and now right. they have the fear of the Lord, and now right. they have peace. So it's interesting that the fear of the Lord brings peace. Right. So right. you want to talk about the shepherd analogy. Right. You're a sheep. You're part of a sheepfold, you're grazing, and then there's wolves, coyotes, bears, lions, whatever the case may be. And that's scary. Right. But when you watch the shepherd come out, and he's got a torch, or he's got a sling, or he's got a crook, and he starts clubbing a wolf to death that, you know, tries to take a little, a little lamb, what's scarier? Watching a human beat an animal's head in with a shepherd's staff? 
or bash its head in with rocks, right? right? And screaming the way only a man can, right. right? Now, as the sheep, you're like, whoa, the shepherd who loves me just did that. So the fear of the Lord can be viewed as God can destroy whatever in your life is terrifying you right. if you'll just have faith. We're so to afraid see to cut the losses, right? And we're thinking that like, wow, Saul killed so many Christians and persecuted, we're losing, right? And what it ended with is, and they were multiplied. I can't, but I can't help but to think like that number has to be bigger than, than what Saul was able to take. One thing too that uh, I think is probably worth mentioning, I got to explore the timelines a little bit, but, um, but I'm pretty sure between verse 25 and 26, and then he goes to Jerusalem, I'm, I'm pretty sure right there is the gap. It's a three-year gap. It's not instantaneous. So he, he doesn't just go from Damascus to Jerusalem, but he goes from Damascus to Arabia. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. For three years. And as he's in Arabia, he's just alone, as far as we can tell, like getting a download from the Holy Spirit, reprogramming all that Old Testament, the Torah knowledge that he had. And then by the time he gets to Jerusalem, he's like a different person. So... So that that's something that we kind of overlook too. Sometimes is um, is that he had a uh, a maturity stage that he had to go through. Mm. So it wasn't just that he hit the ground running. He did hit the ground running, like not to discredit that, but he also had that time of like you know it's like the wine, right? It's like you you put the wine in the the grape juice in, but it takes time before it actually comes to maturity. It, yeah, yeah, it comes to maturity, and it's like he goes to Arabia. We don't really have any record of what he did there, but. He just went there and learned from the Holy Spirit and probably studied Scripture more, probably studied the, the claims of the Messiah even more, and then he comes to Jerusalem, and now he's like, we're ready to go, man, and, and he hits the ground running. But, um, but a lot of this is compressed. The timeline is compressed, and we don't necessarily see that, that gap there. Yeah, it says the events described in the passage in uh, chapter 9, what Jude alluded to, verses 26 through 30, the events described in this passage coincide with Paul's first-hand testimony in Galatians 1, 18, uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 18 through 24, um, which reads, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and uh, uh, remained with him for 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James and the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you indeed before God, I do not lie. After I went, uh, yada, yada, yada. Okay, so from these passages, we learned that after three years ministering in Arabia, yep. Paul visited uh, both Jerusalem and Antioch. Uh, from there, his uh, ministry shifted back to his hometown of Tarsus and the surrounding regions of the province of Cilia. Yeah. So I, I think the, the, the point that, that I've gathered from studying the early church is, again, when you read the New Testament, the timelines are very compressed. That's because because it's the gospel according to Luke. Luke right. wrote Acts. Right. It's, it's chapter one, verse one, where he goes into saying that, you know, yeah. I already wrote you the former account, but then he goes into with great specificity, literally that, where he's like, you know, uh, over a period of 40 days, yeah, da, da. Yeah. again, yeah, like yeah, a journalist yeah. or like a... Yeah. yeah, and so so I guess the point that I'm trying to make is, is that sometimes in our life, we may feel like God is not using us as fast as we want him to, or things are not good. I'm saying that in a, I'm saying that in my head like 10 times over. <laughs> that was a heavy sigh. <laughs> because you read this and you're like, wow, Saul gets converted and then he yeah. like hits a, the ground running. Hits the ground running, right. But the reality of it is, 
was years. It was years in the making, and 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 he went and he was being sharpened and honed. And three years is still fast, but he goes there and then he presents himself to the disciples. Goes to Jerusalem. We see uh, we see Barnabas kind of go in there, take him under his wing. And now they begin what we know of as, as you know, his missionary journeys and all that. Even with Saul, it, there was time that elapsed in all of that that we really have no recollection of. So. It, goes, it goes to show you that we think we have plans for our own life. Saul's like, I'll study the law as a kid. Right. I'm, gonna, you know, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'll make my family proud. I'll be a great teacher. You know, I'll, I'll be zealous for, for all these things, right? And then God's like, that's funny. I got different plans for you. I, I knitted you together in your mother's womb for a very different purpose than what you think. Many plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord who establishes the steps to get there. Amen, right? So again, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. <laughs> yeah, right? Seek his face while he could still be found. Yeah. Repent, trust in Jesus. Do your homework, read your Bible, pray. Anyhow, on that, let's wrap up. We'll pick back up next week and uh, continue the, the story. So thank you guys for joining us and we're signing off. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our discussion today on the Thriving in the Word podcast. We invite you to leave a rating or a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also consider sharing it on social media. We can't wait to be back together with you at the Thriving in the Word podcast.